I'm Yamilka Rodriguez, and this is the Brand Therapist Podcast, where we come together and deep dive into the psychology of branding. We live in a new era that asks us to step up and show our individuality, learn what makes us unique and different in this world. Let's open the door to possibilities so you can win in business, life, and relationships, because everything starts with you. Hello and welcome to the Brand Therapist Podcast. I am so, so excited to have our guest, Ethan Decker, here with us today. But before we get started, I'm going to read his bio. Ethan is a brand strategist and a marketing expert who has spent 15 years doing award-winning brand strategy, advertising, and market research for some of the world's biggest brands. A scientist by training, but a marketer by trade. He's like the missing link, but between science and creativity. I love that, by the way. His career includes roles as insight manager at Radar Research, planning director at 72 and Sunny, group strategy director at Crispin Porter Bogowski, and vice president of insight and strategy at the Integer Group. He's done ethnographies in Tokyo and statistics in MetLab. He's developed promotion scorecards and shopper marketing design principles. He's helped launch razors and position new lines of women's clothing. And he's presented on the science of marketing internationally, including SXSW and TED. Ethan's first life was studying urban ecology. He earned a PhD at the University of New Mexico under National Science Foundation grant for complexity theory in biology. Wow. What a bio, Ethan. I have to thank you. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That bio is kind of my version of three truths and a lie. Oh, so I love that. Out which piece is made up? <laughs> Actually, no. At that point, it's all it's all pretty much real for better and worse. Great. Tell me a little bit about your career and what you're doing at the moment. I am currently president of my own little company called Applied Brand Science, where Thankfully, we do just that. We apply the brand science to help companies grow. And what's phenomenal is how little people really realize that there's a science to brand growth and marketing and advertising. Right. I think when I started at Procter & Gamble, we couldn't figure out the science of design, right? And Mm -hmm. a lot of times... We would just go by the data numbers and forget about the design and consumer feedback. So tell me a little bit on how that actually works. The metaphor I use, and others use it as well, is that it's like trying to build a house or an airplane without understanding the laws of physics. I mean, you can muddle your way through it and through trial and error, you can build a structure that doesn't fall down, but the acoustics might be terrible. So you're not going to create the the Sydney Opera House. Or you can maybe get something off the air for a couple seconds in a Red Bull competition. But to make something fly, you really ought to know the laws of physics. And the laws of physics don't change, even through COVID. There are laws of marketing and advertising. They are empirical regularities that span every category 
every market. And again, it's kind of surprising to me how few people know them. And yet, again, we can muddle through and build brands and sell products, but it helps tremendously and it makes all of your work much more effective and efficient if you actually know the laws and work within them. Oh, very interesting. It it reminds me of a little bit of um, what I do with psychology. I feel like psychology has a set of laws as well that we can't break because we are human beings. So the science of human beings is what psychology is all about. So really understanding that psychology is how you build brands and brand characters and all those fun things. But this wouldn't be a brand therapy podcast if I didn't ask about your childhood. So tell me a story about your childhood and how that connects back to what you do today. And how does that relate to your relationship with your mother, right? That's the ultimate (laughs) (laughs) follow-up. Every chatbot has to have that in its therapeutic process. And, And tell me, how does that relate to your relationship with your mother? A story from my childhood that connects, I would say there's a funny connection, not in in the what I do, but in the how I do it. I didn't think I'd be doing brand marketing and brand strategy when I was growing up, but uh, I was a really good camp counselor and camp director. And a lot of that is about getting people to do things by making it fun. And if you're marshalling hundreds of kids or getting dozens of kids through the woods and with backpacks and canoes on their heads while they're portaging from one lake to another lake. If you can get them singing, if you can make it fun, if you can get them to have a little friendly competition, you can get a lot of stuff done with a lot of unruly kids and the counselors too. At some point I was managing the counselors as well. And it's remarkable how much that those skills and that instinct I have applies in the work world because in the work world, we're just trying to get people to do stuff as well and marshal the forces of the organization to move in one unified direction and get some stuff done. So a lot of what I do, it actually is a mix of the science and the um, entertainment value. So I take science and I put it in a nice candy coating and I make it fun. That's great because you're right. You can't make people do things that are boring, right? Or not fun. And if you make it fun, you get more engagement. And it's it's part of kind of how people work also. You know, I have my nephew here living with me. They're actually leaving next week, but it's all about fun for him, right? And I have to entertain him and play with him. He doesn't want to, he comes into my office, right? And he's like, I'm going to work. I'm like, really? And he sits and he starts like touching everything. And I'm like, stop, I can't work this way. He doesn't understand. So we should be like like kids every now and then. You worked at Procter & Gamble. I worked with Procter & Gamble for years from big ad agencies like Integer and Crispin Porter. And it is remarkable how much People feel like, well, when you go into the business setting, it's all business. It's got to be work. It's got to be serious. And then the way we motivate people is through earnest things like purpose and mission. And granted, it's not always fun. You can't make everything fun. But there's a huge way to unlock motivation and a huge way to unlock creativity via fun. And I, I think that because what I do is I want people to potentially change, potentially give up old 
thoughts about how they think marketing works, potentially change investment dollars, move money around the organization. And that can be really threatening to those people who manage those budgets. That fun is a huge way to unlock potential and way to get people to relax and be open to something new. So let me ask you this. What is your brand all about? The brand, well, as the name says, and I I give credit to my brother for nailing that one, Applied Brand Science is helping get the science, which is the stuff that truly is timeless, the stuff that really is the bedrock of how buyers buy, how human brains work. As you said, it's all about humans and human brains haven't really changed because of COVID. They haven't changed in the past hundred years because of the internet or because of electricity even. So understanding the timeless science that applies to how people do commerce and how they notice things and how they make or break habits and how categories grow, using that as the foundation to then build brands and teaching that to teams, working mostly with CMOs and founders of companies and people who are in leadership positions that say, you know, I've heard about this How Brands Grow stuff by Byron Sharp, or I've heard about this evidence-based marketing. I I want more. What is it? That's where I step in and I teach folks the science and then we can unleash the team onto building the brand in a truly effective evidence-based way. Very good. So let me ask you, I always like to talk about fame because people have different interpretations of the word fame. So what is your fame story? I think that, well, Jerry Garcia He said it really well. He's the lead guitarist and one of the, I think, founders, I think, I don't know, of the Grateful Dead. And he said, I don't want to be the best guitarist. I want to be the only Jerry Garcia. I love that. And that's a great sentiment, which is, yes, he's a really, really good guitarist, but he just wants to be himself and wants to be well-known for that. And if there's a market for it and an audience for it and people love him for who he is, that's great. So more and more, I think I've leaned into that. I think it's similar to some of your story too, about how for a while you had to fit in to the corporate world and you had to adhere to those norms and try and be well-rounded, which as um, Marcus Buckingham says, is like the worst myth of the corporate world. <laughs> you know, No one would ever say Oprah needs to be more well-rounded, right? right? No one would ever say Angela Merkel needs to be more well-rounded. No, she needs to be her best self and surround herself with people that balance her. So I think in terms of my fame story, the more I can be my best self and bring my gifts to the table and then find those who balance me out or round things out outside of me, the better I can give those gifts to people and the more interesting and attractive they are to others, which is... How you build fame. We thank our sponsor, BespokeBranding.io. Tailored branding to reach your ideal client. Gain a deeper level of understanding to empower your brand and purpose and rule the market. We know what it's like to journey from a place of feeling overwhelmed and undervalued to being powerful, understood, and authentic. Your brand identity allows you to live your purpose. The Brand Therapist has 20 years of branding and design experience, has transformed billion-dollar brands, 
and has eight plus years of guiding women entrepreneurs to realize their potential. I invite you to take the brand quiz and you can find it at www.bespokebranding.io. So tell me, what's your greatest fear? Oh, yeah, we're really on the couch now, the brand therapist, aren't we? I would say one thing that I am afraid of is not making the most of my 20,000 weeks on the planet. I'm lucky to have gotten this far. I could have been taken out any number of times by accidents and misfortune. At this point, after the pandemic, I think everyone has a story of seeing someone who's gone through not just tremendous hardship, but might have lost their life. And that's the end of that that part of their story. And uh, so I just want to make sure that I'm making the most of the, the days I have. So in that vein, has there been something that's held you back at some point and you now look back at it and think, I don't understand why I was holding that up or why that was happening to me at that time? I think a piece which goes back to this notion of being the best guitarist versus the only Jerry Garcia and your experience at at PNG is that notion of wanting to fit in and adhere to the rules Mm. and play by the rules others set. And a lot of people feel that. I think it's extremely common. Oddly enough, brands behave the same way. They look to their neighbors in their category and they say, well, what is that car company doing? I guess we have to do that too. And that's why all the car ads kind of look the same these days, don't they? Or that's why all frozen food ads basically look the same because they all look at each other and say, well, what's the other frozen food company doing? I got to do that too. All the direct-to-consumer brands all have the exact same flat, sans-serif, pastel-y color palette featuring their new electric gizmo that they direct ship to you. So I think it's this notion of, again doubling down on what makes you unique, what special gift you do bring, and going with that and overcoming the fear that the market will reject that or the world will reject that. I mean, there is a P for every pod. There is a market for almost every kind of band out there, surprisingly, given how much crazy-ass music there is. So it's a matter of embracing your freak flag and then working and working hard to find the market for it. Wow. I mean, we think very much alike. I think it's so interesting how, you know, have a client at the moment and they want to be for everybody. And I'm like, well, then you're just going to be vanilla. How about we just make you a vanilla flavor? Right. And, And it's like, they don't understand the more focused they are, the more niche they are, whatever you want, whatever word you want to say, the more people they're going to attract, right? It's by being unique and setting that focus strategy is how you're going to call your people or attract your tribe. It is. It's a paradox. I mean, on the one hand, Apple iPhones are unabashedly Apple iPhones. They're crazy as expensive. They're sexy. They have lots and lots of limitations about what you can do on them compared to Android or Linux or other unlocked phones. They're unabashedly premium, sexy products, but they are also for everybody and everybody seems to buy them. So it is a weird paradox. 
there are very few musicians that appeal to everybody. Not even Michael Buble. (laughs) That's true. It was so funny because I was telling um, another client yesterday, I was like, as you can tell, I am not an iPhone early adopter. I showed on my iPhone and they were like, but I love iPhone and I love Apple. So that doesn't mean that I'm their early adopter. I don't need mm-hmm. to be their early adopter. They're going to, they're, they're focused on their early adopter. They're designed for their early adopter. And that's important because they have to be different. And that's a way to differentiate. But then they attract others by being focused. I also think that there's there's always this confusion about what I call the brand category paradox. How do you stand out while fitting in? How do you own something while also delivering on all the normal category requirements? So let's take another example. Um, ben and Jerry's ice cream. It has to be tasty. It has to be cold. It has to be flavorful. It has to be rich. They're certainly playing at the mid or premium end of the market. So they've got that part pegged. They're not competing with the $8 a gallon fake non-dairy frozen product, which does exist out there. So they have to deliver on all the normal category things, but then they have to do it in a distinctive way. And how do they do it? With really fun names, with really bubbly packaging, with a massive push for social justice and environmental justice. You know, people come for the ice cream and stay for the goofiness. And a lot of the differentiation happens in perpendicular ways to the category. A lot of the difference, what you end up owning, isn't something in the category like taste or heritage. I mean, it seems like half of every ice cream maker in America was founded in 1865. (laughs) So there's no way you can own heritage. And ice cream's tasty, even if it's vanilla. So... (laughs) You can't own flavor. So a lot of what you should end up focusing on, ironically, is what I call the little B brand, which is the distinctive character, the distinctive color, the distinctive way you advertise or communicate. And that is perpendicular to the category drivers. And I think a lot of brand managers want it to be one of the category drivers. Yeah. That's a really good way to think about it. I've never thought about looking at it from a perpendicular standpoint, right? You're just striving for that being in the lane and not necessarily perpendicular to the lane. So let me ask you this. A lot of us, we have guides, mentors, whatever you want to call them. Who have been some of your mentors or guides that have helped you along the way? Mm. One of them was a professor of mine in grad school, George Stevens. He kind of taught me inside out what evolution is really all about and gave me a very visceral, emotional understanding of it. And not an emotional like, oh, I'm crying, I'm, you know, because uh, it's the end of the season and they're getting back together. But I know but he, I'm not watching something right now. I'm like, just get to the part where they right. save the daughter. Like, right. come on. But George really helped me understand this zany, huge thing that drives nature and drives the market, which is evolution and adaptive pressures. So he really molded my thinking a lot, as well as being just such a great 
friend and we're still in touch and just a great human being who cared about me as a person, not just as a, a student or, or a scientist. And then another I'll mention was my first boss in advertising proper, Greg Perlot. Uh, Perlot. I still can't quite get it right. I think it's Greg Perlot, but he helped found 72 and Sunny, which is one of the world's best agencies. I was employee number 26 back in the day when we were at the Plywood Palace in El Segundo, California. And his first review for me essentially said, you're really a good musician and you need to stop reading the music and start improvising. And that was such a great invitation to not be so clenched about having the data and having everything just right and having 80 to 90% certainty, which was my training as a scientist to be thorough and be complete. Right. And he said, no, man, you're in marketing now. It's improv. <laughs> and it doesn't mean you got You can't know your scales. Yeah. So this kind of goes back to our building a, an airplane metaphor, which is you still have to know the fundamentals to be great. I mean, again, you can muddle through with two or three chords and be a pop star, but your chances go way, way up if you know chord theory and progressions and majors and minors and blah, 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 blah. But eventually you improvise like a jazz musician. So that was his big kick in the pants for me was stop looking at the sheet music and start improvising. That was great. I love that because, you know, one of my questions would be like, you were born in the science world. And then it looks like you went to the dark side, into the marketing world. I was born in the creative design world. Uh -huh. And then I, I, I tell people I went to the dark side when I went over to marketing. Well, actually, I was born in the design, product design side. So innovation. Right. And, and so innovation always hated marketing because marketing always wanted to change things. And so when I went over into the marketing side of things, People thought I had lost my creativeness or my funness. So let me ask you this. How do you reconcile the science and the creative side or the marketing side? Yeah, it turns out I kind of flip-flopped back and forth. The shorthand is a scientist by training, but a marketer by trade. But before being a scientist, I was deeply into politics and culture and identity theory and before that, I was in the arts. I did musicals and musical theater. I performed a lot. So I've, I've flip-flopped. I've gone back and forth between the arts and the sciences. And I think that's why my high school teachers were frustrated because each one was like, you should pursue this, Ethan. And the other said, no, 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 you should pursue this. And so for some reason, you know, that thing that connects the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. I was just I was just going to say you have a real good balance of left brain right brain. Right. Or just a really thick corpus callosum or I don't even know what it's called the the <laughs> the cable between the two. For some reason it works for me and I think that is why as a brand strategist I found a comfortable space and a useful role translating between business and creative, translating back from creative to business. Translating from quantitative to qualitative. I've done both. I've, I'm often the quant jock to do quantitative research, but I traveled the world doing qualitative research and I used to be a journalist and an editor. So I don't know. It, to me, they're both slightly different ways to express creativity and rigor. In fact, I did a little post. I just read John Cleese's little book 
a short and cheerful guide on creativity. And John Cleese knows his stuff, not just from Monty Python and A Fish Called Wanda, but tons of other things he's done. And he is actually a scientist. He says, you don't know if your ideas work until you go out and test them. Mm. So he's constantly testing his work. He'll write a script and then show it to 20 people. And if they don't laugh, it's dumb and he's got to go fix it. So it's a process of exploration, a process of learning. There's rigor to it, but critically, there is that expansive creative side. And so I don't know why my brain works this way, but <laughs> it just know, does. It you got to you got to dance with who brought you. So you got to think yeah. with what you got. And you know, I think that's so important. I teach design thinking at the university, and it's really interesting how people have a really hard time using both sides of the brain and testing things like let's try this and see what happens and if it doesn't work then we try something else and then we try something else i think people want to get it right from the get go and i don't know that that always works if you're flexible i think you win in the market yeah i agree it's very rare to get it the first time i mean working in ad agencies the creatives i'd work with the writers and the designers Rarely was their first thing the thing we ended up working with. It might have been their 10th or 20th or 80th idea. And then maybe it's a great idea, but it's commercially impossible or legally impossible. And so you go back to the drawing board. (laughs) And, uh, you know, all of this embracing failure stuff, I think a lot of it's really trite. I think there's a real good reason we're afraid of failure. I think there's a real valid reason to fear failure. Because lives are on the line, money's on the line, jobs on the line. And so you do have to find a mental space where you can be a little comfortable with that. And actually, John Cleese's thing, which I resonate with, is this notion of play. When you're in a mindset of play, then you can make the embarrassing idea and you can say the stupid headline and you can design the the terrible product. Because those are the ones that get you to the good ones. Right. So true. So lessons learned. Give me like two or three lessons learned. Lessons learned. Well, I think certainly one of the big ones is to play to your strengths Mm -hmm. as a person or as a brand. You do want to shore up the, you know, the key weaknesses. But as you said, you can't be everything to everybody. So play to your strengths as an individual or as a company. I worked with a frozen dairy confection company and they couldn't legally call their stuff ice cream and they didn't even make pints. It wasn't um, economical for them to make the small containers. So they just made huge boxes of treats or huge tubs of ice cream. And I said, well, play to that. You're the company for parties and gatherings, right? You're not the company for sneaking yeah. off alone and and eating alone and having intimate moments with Netflix. So play to it. That's a key lesson. Yeah, that is really big. People don't do that. People tend to want to be, again, like we said before, want to be for everybody instead of like, play to your strengths. First of all, what is your strength? Do you know what your strength is? Right. <laughs> and then play to it. It's possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the world yep. is full of possibilities. Yeah. I think one more lesson, and I love the way Jack Conti talks about it. Jack Conti is one half of the band Pomplamoose, who I adore. And he also created Patreon, 
the website where you can give directly to artists and be their okay. patron, so to speak. Okay. And he talks about life as a funnel. It's like the sales funnel, but for anything you do. Irving Berlin, the famous jazz writer of jazz standards, he wrote 1,500 songs. And out of that, he got a few standards. And out of that, he won one or two Tony Awards for musicals. So he started with a lot and ended up with a little. Uh, Jack's story is he needed a dentist. So rather than call one and wait a few days and then hear back and then call again in another few days and you know two weeks have gone by, he said, just funnel that damn thing. Call 20 <laughs> in one sitting, call 20. And by the end of the day, he had an appointment yeah. book. And so applying it to me, let's say, I'm not going to painstakingly write every single LinkedIn post that I write. And that's one of my key ways to get my name out there. Just get them, do them, put them out there because you're never sure which one's going to blow up and which one's just going to be read by 20 people. Life is a funnel. So if you're hunting for a job, you want to apply to 30 places a week, not to three places a week. You want to have two networking calls every day, not two networking calls a month and just fill that funnel. And that yeah. takes effort and yeah. it takes luck. But the work is you start with quantity and eventually you'll land on what you want. That is great. Because that actually, I'm going to use that for my students. I always talk about quantity versus quality. At the beginning, you have to do, it's about just put it all out there. They want to do two ideas and they're done. I'm like, no, you have yeah. to have 5,000 ideas for one of those to come out. And Absolutely. they're not really fond on, on quantity. But let me ask you this. The next five, 10 years for you, where do you see yourself? Well, I live here in Boulder. I've got a family. I'm trying to fledge some kids. So they're in high school right now. And, and we hope that we can give them wings to fly out of the nest. So that'll be a change in a new chapter for sure. Mm. Um, it's only been a few years that I've been doing applied brand science. So... I'm excited to see where it keeps going. I'm excited to, you know, meet more folks and help more brands. And uh, next year in particular, I'm excited to really work on my book. I'm working on a book. I was just going to ask you like that. You sound like a book. Is there <laughs> a book coming out? Do you have a book? I sound like a book. I hope I sound like an entertaining <laughs> book. Yes, you do. A, a page turner. I am working on a book. It's going to be called The Laws and Levers of Brand Growth. Or it might be called the two-hour work week. Oh, okay. <laughs> I you know, read that the, one. <laughs> the four-hour work week's already been done, so I got to, you know, right. ratchet it up. So uh, I am working on a book, and it is about my approach and my synthesis of the art and the science, my synthesis of the engineering and then the creative to build the Sydney Opera House. And I call it the laws and levers approach to brand growth. So I will be working on that. So that'll be a big topic for this year for me, for sure. Whoa. And then where can people find you? Where are you? I hear LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn a lot. So you can find me there. Ethan Decker, Applied Brand Science. I tweet, at least until the whole thing burns down. Who knows what's going to become <laughs> of Twitter? I hope not. It's it's still a useful place for people to connect. And, and then I do have a website, appliedbrandscience.com. You can go on there and you can sign up for a, a newsletter if you want to hear more of, of my brand science musings. Oh, great. Well, 
Thank you, Ethan, for being on the Brown Therapist podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad we connected. I love that new way of connecting too and talking to new people and not just people I actually know. So I love that and getting to know you much better. And we'll keep in touch and see what happens in the future for you. Absolutely. And I look forward to seeing what you do in the future. So we will stay in touch. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Therapist. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you would like to connect on social, you can find me at Yamoka Rodriguez Branding or BespokeBranding.io. And if you would like to do the brand character quiz, go to BespokeBranding.io and click on Brand Quiz. Or you can email me at yamilka at yamilka.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.